Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson welcomes one of Austin's most successful business leaders for her take on the past, present, and future of entrepreneurship and the workplace. Gay Gaddis is an advertising luminary. She founded T3 in Austin in 1989 and grew it into one of the largest women-owned independent agencies in the United States. She's an artist and painter. She's the creator of the Women Who Mean Business program at the University of Texas at Austin, and she was the first female chair of the Texas Business Leadership Council. Gay, thank you so much for joining us on the Texas Business Minds podcast. How are you? I'm great, Will. Thanks for inviting me to come on today. Of course. You are the founder of the advertising agency T3. You founded that about 30 years ago, I believe, and you sold the business, but now you're up to a lot more doing your business program at the University of Texas at Austin. So what are you doing these days? It sounds like you're keeping plenty busy. Yes, I am. You know, I've always led a very fast-paced business and community lifestyle. And so I didn't stop when I sold the company. I was focused on already looking toward how I was going to shape leadership. And uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called Cowgirl Power, How to Kick Ass in Business and Life. And in the book, it was focused, of course, toward women leadership initiatives, but it was really written for everyone, but it focused on women. And so I decided after selling my company, T3, to see what I could do to really take that to the next level. So we can talk about that more during this time together, but it was one of my big initiatives coming out of T3. Now, you founded T3, an advertising agency, in 1989. Is that right? That is correct. So it was a little bit of a different time, but you guys were also innovators when it came to the digital side of advertising, to, um, to online advertising. Can you tell us what it was like getting T3 started? Well, it was a terrible time to start a business, <laughs> but is there ever a good time? 1989, as you point out, and... Texas and, of course, the entire country was in a very deep recession. And the real estate in Austin wasn't worth the dirt it was built on. All the savings and loans failed. It was a real crisis. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, really dark time. But I got mad at my company I was at because they didn't like the business plan I wrote to pull us out of our misery. And I decided I was going to go do it someplace else. So I had to do it on my own. So I did start the company in 89. I cashed in my $16,000 IRA. I was basically broke other than that. And I jumped into the business. And Austin was such a sleepy town back then. I mean, for all of us who live in this vibrant city now and, and have watched the growth, it was very different back in the late 80s. And, uh, you know, it was the University of Texas. It was state government and a few smaller companies. And so Austin was just kind of a quaint, smaller town. I loved it here, but it wasn't the greatest place to start a business. So all of our initial clients were not Austin-based. I had a few small ones. And then an interesting thing happened in the early 90s. Dell Computer Corporation started to make some noise, and they started to grow. And so we started working with Dell in 1992, and that kind of changed the trajectory of our business. And from there, you've gone on to work with clients like UPS, 7-Eleven, you know, members of the Fortune 100, largest companies 
in oh uh, yeah chase corporate out of new york we opened offices in new york we were placing some of the most aggressive online media campaigns of any agency in the country i had all the chase business marriott corporate dell and so we opened offices we were growing during a time when a lot of people weren't because we were unlocking the secrets of internet marketing and i do have to thank dell for that because they were a paying client they were very aggressive in online marketing. In fact, I remember the day that Michael Dell walked into a meeting where I was sitting uh, with the marketing team at Dell, and he said, we're going to start selling on the internet because it perfectly fits our direct model. And he was right. And so we all rolled up our sleeves and tried to figure it out. And so we experimented and did some of the very first to market online advertising, marketing, search, all the things that came along and then got into mobile very early. We were just innovative. You know, we were always looking at what was next and that was our hallmark. And that's how we stayed competitive against major, major advertising holding companies. We were nimble. We were smart. We were innovative and we were winning awards and making the cash register ring for our clients. And as you point out, we had major fortune 100 clients. So it was a very, very exciting ride. I'll have to say. That's so interesting because now I think a lot of people think of Dell and the online sales are kind of a quintessential part of the Dell model as everyone kind of knows it. And, you know, the dude you're getting a Dell kind of online campaign <laughs> or uh, advertising campaign about the direct to consumer sales. So that's really interesting. And again, shows the impact of what a company, the growth, you know, creation of a company like Dell can have on a once sleepy city. Exactly. And they were really, you know, even though, a lot of people don't understand this, but Austin was kind of set up to be a technology hub because way back in the day, IBM had an outpost here in the 60s, yep. you know, and we had Symatech and we had incubators and, we, and Motorola came here early. And Motorola, yeah, uh, yeah. see later. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was almost a natural that Austin would become a technology hub because a lot of people planned for that here. We didn't want Austin to be another Houston or Dallas. We wanted it to be known for clean industry, for kind of innovation. And so that's why all that happened. So it was a perfect place for Michael Dell to grow his business because it was kind of becoming known as a technology center. But, you know, when Dell started, no one knew who they were. And, you know, we had to work very hard against their competitors like Compaq and, and of course, IBM and some of the other leading computer technology companies. But we put them on the map and together we really helped grow their business. That's fascinating. And I think the, you know, the tech growth of Austin is a great topic for another podcast. We'll have to get you on. But you ended up building T3 into one of the largest or, or maybe it was the largest women owned independent advertising agency in the country. It was. And I look back on that because it was pretty amazing. You know, I bootstrapped the company from the very beginning and yeah. I never borrowed a dime you know, to run the business on a daily basis. And I still can't believe I did it, but I had such a great team and uh, just wonderful, wonderful people that were on the journey with me. And so I give them the credit, but it was truly, truly an interesting dynamic that we were able to to grow as much as we did and make a profit every year. It was it was really tough some years. And if we want to dial back to 2008, 2009, that was oh, yeah. about as dire as you could get. But we made it through and continue to grow. What do you think is the most essential skill for an entrepreneur to have? You have to be a risk taker and yeah. you have to 
be able to see it when it comes, grab the brass ring, as my mom used to say, when it comes around, because if you don't, it may never come back again. So mm -hmm. you've got to always be looking at where are those opportunities and be enough of a risk taker to grab it, go with it. And if it doesn't work, make course corrections and get things back on track. I was also a very quick decision maker. I didn't hem and haw about decisions. When I had to do something, I did it. I acted on it and moved ahead. So be comfortable being uncomfortable, you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's a good way to say it. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, starting T3 kind of famously, as I've heard the story is, yeah, you were, you were dissatisfied. It brought a business idea forward. It wasn't received. So you cashed out your IRA. You went on and founded what became a very large and successful company. I wonder with the state of entrepreneurship and the economy today, like, do you think someone could cash out their IRA and, and start something like this now in 2023, whatever the well, inflation adjusted equivalent of, of that? Well, it's possible. I say nothing is impossible if you've got a great idea and you're determined and you're willing to put in the hard work. But I will say this, most companies and industries require more capital than I did. Yeah. Because you think about it back in those days, if you want to say it that way, it didn't require a lot to really start an agency. It was all about our creativity and our thinking. And yeah. aside from the fact that I needed a few computers and a telephone, I mean, that was about all we needed. And so it, there was not a lot of a capital investment. You know, I had to find some real estate to have an office in and, and things like that. But it was not capital intensive, as yeah. I will say. So, of course, my business was different than most companies who would be starting off today. Totally. It, it feels like a different environment with so many things in the economy, but the expenses and the capital investment is definitely one of them. Do you have any advice for someone who might be working in an agency or any company and is considering going off on their own? Like, how did you make, you talked about being a risk taker and that being important, but like, what gave you the confidence to know your idea? You said it takes a winning idea. How do you know you have the right idea? Like, when do you know it's time to jump? Well, you know, it's, it's almost a calculated risk. So, you know, risks are taken based on information you have and knowing how to harness that. So I already knew that I could run profitable, successful accounts because I was doing it in another yeah. agency. So it wasn't like I had an idea to run off and start an advertising agency and I really didn't have experience and in never. it. Never. Yeah. 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 And so I knew that I could run a profitable piece of business. I had great client relations skills. I knew how to run the business side of it. And I knew how to bring in creative people to add that spark and the innovation. So it wasn't a complete leap to do what I did, really, because I'd already been doing it, although I'd never done it on my own. And I'll, I'll have to tell you that that first day that I was sitting in my office, March 1st, 1989, by myself, before my first two employees showed up, I was scared to death. It was different. All of a sudden, yeah. everything was me. And I realized the entire responsibility, the profitability, the client satisfaction, there was no one else to turn to the buck stopped with me, literally. And it really was a different feeling that day. I'll never forget it. I think the entrepreneurship, though, was kind of a through line of your life. When I think about what you've gone on to do with the Women Who Mean Business Initiative program at, at UT, you kind of created that from scratch. Mm -hmm. You just created your own thing. And I wonder, how would you define the through line of uh, your career? Well, I like to kind of think about this as your superpowers. And, you know, people talk about that a lot. But if you go back to what you were good at as a child, you will start to see a pattern. And I was an entrepreneur as a child, really. I started a 
a parade in my little town. I, you know, I grew up in a small town. I, I started initiatives in my high school and I led programs. And, and so I was already kind of doing that. I carried that through to the University of Texas and had leadership roles there. And uh, even though I did not get out of college and go into an entrepreneurial endeavor, I was always starting things in the companies and trying and innovating in the companies that I work for. And so I see it as kind of a life ambition, life skill set, maybe how you're wired up. And so for me, you know, even starting my career as a painter, that was an entrepreneurial effort because I I have an art degree from UT. So it's not like I didn't know anything about being an artist, but I had never really been in the business of painting and selling paintings and being in galleries. And I had to learn all of that. So that's like being an entrepreneur. You're running your own little business in that. And you pointed out, you know, with the University of Texas, I had an idea. And I pitched the idea to President Hartzell, and he liked it, and we made it happen. And I was able to bring in the right people again. You know, that's the secret of any entrepreneurial effort. You've got to surround yourself with the right people to mm. make something happen. You cannot do it on your own. It, it's just, I think it's impossible. You have to have strong yin-yang, different personalities, different types of strengths to come surround you as you launch anything and then to keep it successful. So that's the real secret, too, of an entrepreneur. You've got to identify those right partners from the very start. That's so true. We often think of entrepreneurship as a a solo endeavor, and it is. It can be quite lonely, but there's always a spouse, a family, you know, a trusted confidant, people that help Mm -hmm. us get through. Absolutely. And just want to plug, I mean, Gay, we gave you our Legacy Award at our Best CEO Awards last year in 2022, Austin Business mm-hmm. Journal, and you had some great insight on some of the learnings, what it meant to become a, an artist and sell your stuff in galleries in New York. So I encourage anyone that wants more insight on that to uh, check out AustinBusinessJournal.com. And uh, Gay was our Legacy Award winner last year at the Best CEO Awards. And actually, I thought it was interesting too, you were one of our inaugural Best CEO winners when we started the program in 2011. So so obviously we picked we picked well for the years. Yeah, and I was honored with that, very honored, because I was the first woman selected for, for the Legacy Award. And so it was very meaningful to me and I really appreciated that. Gay Gaddis joining us. Next, how she revolutionized the workplace for working moms. When Texas Business Minds continues. This year at Texas Mutual Insurance Company, we're celebrating 25 years of dividends and a record $340 million dividend distribution to Texas businesses. See how business is better with Texas Mutual at texasmutual.com slash dividends. You know, another really innovative part of your career, something I find fascinating is you're known for supporting working moms because you had been a working mom and had this, you know, T3 childcare program where mothers could continue to work while watching their children and then working at T3. Can you explain exactly what that was? Well, this kind of goes back to the Dell story because we were just starting to grow the Dell business. And I had four women who were very key on that account working at T3. And ironically, they got pregnant within just weeks of each other. I mean, I don't know what happened. I always said there must have been an ice storm that year or something, but they did. And I was really just kind of out because I thought, oh my gosh, what if they don't come back to work? Because it wasn't just a a given that they would. And so I thought that I'm going to really have trouble on this account. They're very key. So I came up with this kind of 
outlandish idea, really, because this was years ago, like 28, 29 years ago. And I sat down with them and I said, why don't you bring your babies to the office with you and we'll help you take care of them. And they looked at me like I was just lost it, you know, that I, what were you thinking? And I said, well, let's try it. And so they didn't want to do it. But then we finally, everyone kind of talked them into it. And we set this up. My attorney at the time called me. He found out about it and said, you can't do this. <laughs> he said, you cannot do this, guy. You don't, you're not a licensed daycare. Well, you're a license. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you know, you're, the liability is just outrageous. And I said, I'm going to do it. And I did. And it worked. I mean, we had to tweak it through the years. We put in policies. We made it work. But it worked for so many years and it continued on. And we ended up with, I believe, well, 103 babies that went through the program. And I even had dads who brought in babies. It was for various reasons. And it was just wonderful. We made it work. It wasn't always easy, but it was the right thing to do. And, you know, it gave parents that first, especially with the first child, that confidence that they could bring their baby along and then when they were ready to go to daycare or whatever it was okay and we all I think as a culture surrounded those parents with support and it just made for a wonderful wonderful cultural experience for everyone and even our clients liked it I mean they knew we had babies there and if there was a baby crying in the background during a meeting on a conference call well that was okay uh, and some of our clients would come in and run back to where a baby was and want to hold them I mean it was just a beautiful thing is all I can say and it was something that yes as a working mother I struggled with mightily because I didn't have that. And I thought if I could just give these parents that first start and confidence to continue work and not feel like they have to drop out, then we've all won and we will succeed. And we did. It was a very, very good thing. And most people wouldn't have done it. And still today, it's not always done. I mean, I think with the working from home phenomenon we're in now that it's a little bit more prevalent. But in the time I did it, there was no work from home. We were all there. There was a level of foresight there because, you know, I mean, nine to five is kind of a leftover, you know, those hours of nine to five are kind of a leftover from the factory days. And we're all used to working that and being in the office. But um, again, there's this idea seemed it was so prescient because now we all juggle with how to be working parents and how to deal with um, those Mm -hmm. kind of responsibilities. So a very interesting step to do that when now parental benefits, they're always hyped up in job postings and company Mm -hmm. like it's it's a big emphasis. And at the time, T3 was definitely, you know, you were definitely a trailblazer in that regard. Well, Will, I want to mention too, we talked about the Women Who Mean Business program at the University of Texas. And Mm -hmm. um, that program is not for undergrads or MBA students. This is for women who have advanced enough in their careers, 10, 20 years of experience, and they're in leadership roles. But we're trying to catapult them into that next big role. And it's working. I am just beside myself, that we are seeing such great results. But one of the reasons for starting this program was because we were coming through COVID and we were starting to lose women. Some of our outstanding women were just kind of saying, look, I've had it. You know, I've got kids, I've got aging parents, I've got all this stuff. And if I don't have to work, I'm just, I'm through. And we started to see women dropping out of the workforce again during COVID. And so as we developed the program, we were saying, how can we encourage these women to hang in there? Because we don't want to lose them. We need their leadership. We need their smarts. We need their skills. And if they drop out now, they're gone. And so it was one of the key indicators of why we thought this program needed to be in place when it was. 
And now is it in its third year? Yes, it is. And we're starting cohort four in a week. We did two cohorts in one year. So it sounds like it's been four years, but it's starting its third year. Well, I think that's a great tie-in. I mean, it is like, again, you, you had this foresight about what it means to be about women business leadership. And um, it's interesting to see, again, that carry through throughout your career as well. When you see these female leaders come through the program, are you heartened about the state of women business leadership in Texas? And what are your thoughts about where we're headed? I think that we are needing more and more support there because a lot of women are siloed in these big companies or the entrepreneurs who come through our program. And they don't really have the network and the support they need from other women or from other people going through some of the same life challenges that women do. And so this has been one of the most eye-opening parts of it. Not only are we providing skills, leadership, training, mentorship, all the things that come with this program, but we are also giving them this opportunity to network and reach out to each other. And that is so important. And it helped me so much in my career when I finally started realizing that there were some very successful women out there that I needed to network with. And I joined an organization called the Committee of 200, C200. And there I found women like me. And it was almost like, well, I walked in the room at the first conference that I went to and I went, wow, there are other women like me because I had been so hard at work with my head down with my own business. I didn't realize that, you know, where were these other women who were successful that I could learn from and get support from? And so that's a very key part of keeping women focused and in leadership roles. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you awaken to like this wider, you know, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that there's this whole other network out there. Yeah. Yeah. It really is the key. It's very much the key to success. Gabe, before I let you go, last question. You've accomplished so much, seen so many things, started, completed so many things. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? Like what's something that all these, you know, uh, (laughs) people can kind of avoid doing that you've learned not to do? Well, you know what? This is what I went back to earlier. I was always being told by bankers and investors and all these people, I needed to take more money and I would never be able to scale my business if I didn't take in cash or partners or, you know, infusion of even a line of credit. Mm -hmm. And I just always said no, because I wanted to absolutely run my business tight and ship right. And I did not want to have other people invest in my company from a monetary standpoint, because once they do, they've got their teeth in you. And the decisions you make are guided by them and you're beholden to them. And so I wanted to be free from any kind of outside money coming in, because if I did have that, it wouldn't have allowed me to make decisions as quickly as I did and do the things I did, because I'm sure that someone would have said if they you know, had invested in T3, oh, you can't open an office in New York, especially if we did it right after 9-11. It seemed like the worst timing in the world, but it was good timing. And uh, they would have said, no, don't do that. Just stick to where you are. I don't know what would have happened, but all I know is I said no over and over and over to outside money. And I believe it made us more successful. And we were not, uh, we were very independent. When you say independent, we were independent. Do you think a banker or investor venture capitalist would have approved of the uh, uh, child care in the office? Uh, Probably program? not. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of things we did that 
I'm sure would have been frowned upon or, you know, discouraged. And so, you know, I let our employees do all kinds of things. We had dogs up there. We had, you know, (laughs) you know, we had vacations for people we paid for. We did all kinds of things, but it was really part of the culture. And um, that was the most important thing, because when you have creative people coming together, You've got to create a culture where they believe that they can do their work. And uh, they're different than some types of industries. And so it was just very important that I had a free reign, so to speak, as a cowgirl would say, to do what I wanted to do. And that's how it worked. A fascinating look back, but also a a preview with more to come, Gay, with Women Who Mean Business and and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Texas Business Minds podcast. Well, thank you, Will, and I'm glad this is going across Texas. I've been involved in many things that encompass the state, and so I'm proud to be a Texan, and thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.